I've watched the sun set and the sun rise on every ocean on the planet. And my mo I've dipped the front tire of my motorcycle in almost every ocean on the planet. And I've, um, I've been every place that I've ever dreamed I wanted to go, I've gone. What's up, everybody? Armand here, back with another episode. Today's guest, we have Ron Douglas. Ron's the founder of Mentoring Giants, and he was previously on the Discovery Channel's Blue Collar Backers. He was a business coach on this show. Uh, he also spent time as a death row prison guard, so we talk about that, which was really cool to hear, and how he's traveled the world. Uh, he did a really cool motorcycle trip around the Arctic Circle uh, that got me wanting to go to Iceland. Super awesome dude. We talk about goal setting, gaining clarity around your goals, future journaling, um, and this one really controversial take he has on finding your life partner, which at the time, I didn't think it was that controversial. Like, it, it made sense. But I have since talked to a lot of my friends, and wow, did I not know what a hot take this was. But you're going to have to listen to find out what that is. Thank you all for listening, speaking of, and uh, feel free to reach at me at armand at theplayhardpodcast.com. I want to start talking to my listeners. Say what's up. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming, checking it out. Uh, this is a very action-packed episode. I like talking to Ron a lot, and uh, hope you enjoy this episode of The Play Hard Podcast. Work hard, play hard, work hard, play Perfect. Hard. Sweet. All right. And there's so much we uh, that I, I have to talk about with you. I mean, we, we got the motorcycling. We have a Discovery Channel that you've been on. We have that you've been a prison guard on death row. That's something I want to get into. Um, but ultimately, it sounds like all these things led to uh, you being an entrepreneur and, and being a part of selling off uh, 40 or... Was it selling forty companies or exiting? Yeah, I've owned, I've, uh, yeah, I've owned over forty companies and I've done forty successful exits. Yeah. All right. Yeah, sounds like you've had the uh, quite the adventurous life, and uh, excited to get into that today. All right, let's, uh, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So for the listener, this is Ron Douglas. He's currently the founder of Mentoring Giants, uh, where he's taking some of that experience you had. If you saw a little casual intro early, he's taking that experience, and uh, I'm guessing mentoring others. Uh, is, is, am I getting that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we've taken uh, mentoring giants and I, I just, uh, retirement just doesn't suit me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, needed, I needed to do something and, uh, I, I enjoy helping others uh, along the journey. So yeah. So we created mentoring giants. At what point did you realize that you enjoy helping others? Well, I, you know, I, I had done a, a TV show and, I'll be honest. At the time I did the TV show, I I did not want to talk to anybody. I uh, I was getting bombarded with calls. I was getting bombarded with. I mean, my, my wife and I couldn't even go out to dinner. Or people interrupted dinners, and uh, they were stopping me in the middle of Home Depot, and you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And so, I uh, I I had no interest in in that. And then after a couple of years, everything settled down. You know, TV show's not on anymore. Yeah, or, you know. And so things had settled down, but somebody had recognized me in a home in a hardware store, and um, we got to talking about business. And 
my wife tugged on my arm like an hour and a half later. She's like, we got to go. <laughs> and I just realized, man, I just been talking for an hour and a half and yeah. I loved it and I loved helping them. And I, I got in the car and told them, I was like, you know, I, I think this is it. This is what I want to do. That's yeah. That's so awesome. That's, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a phase of my life right now. The reason I ask is I've, I feel like for a while I, I found and knew what I wanted. And then it's kind of like you get what you want. And now I'm in a somewhat searching phase. And I know helping others is the right thing to do. However, it feels like to do that right now, I, I kind of got to help myself first. So that's why I asked, like, how'd, how'd you know it was right? And it seemed like it just kind of came to you. Like it wasn't something you set out to do. It just happened. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, helping others is always number one for me. Um, but it wasn't until that moment when we were – in, in the hardware store that, uh, I realized that, yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe I, it literally felt like 10 minutes. I'd been talking to him for 10 minutes. So I looked at my watch and my wife's like, hey, man, it's been an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, man, time just flew by. I enjoyed it. And I was on this high, like the whole day after that. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, it gave like, you energy. Yeah. It gave me energy. And so I was just like pumped up and I was thinking about this dude's business. I was like, yeah, I would market it this way. I would do this. And I was, I was like, you know, thinking about it all day, and I had yeah. you know, and so I thought, you know, this this is really, this is filling my cup, you know, so to speak, and so that's yeah. when I decided to do it. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. How, so speaking, so your your company's mentoring giants, and speaking uh -huh. of mentoring, I noticed that you said you were with, uh, you were in a mastermind with one of the last of Napoleon Hill's students. Yep. How is it that that came to be, and what kind of what outcomes in your life came from that kind of experience? Okay, so there's a little bit of story behind this. Um, Napoleon Hill was a great guy. And um, a lot of people don't understand. You know, Everybody thinks about Think and Grow Rich. But Think and yeah. Grow Rich is just a, a very small version of the 17 principles of success. He wrote a, a multi-volume book called 17 principles of success of success that is the book everybody should be reading um i went through that book and i read it and i loved it of course napoleon hill died in 72 i think it is 71 72 yeah. and so that was before i was even born and so i was i was disappointed about that because i always like tracking people down you know and and uh i had heard that he had a school up in oregon in the 60s and 70s and I was like, huh, interesting. I wonder who ran that school. So I started researching. I actually called, um, oh, what's his name, Mr. Green at the uh, Napoleon Hill Institute. And he had told me, um, you know, that the school was there. Anyway, long story short, I tracked him down. His name was Leo Widener. He, he has recently passed away. Um, but uh, he, he was an incredible guy, man. I, I, I met him, and he lived in Utah at the time. And so when he was in Utah, I, um, I, I jumped on the, <laughs> he thought I was crazy because I jumped on the phone with him. I said, so I understood you, you worked with Napoleon Hill. He goes, yeah. And I said, uh, would you mind if we visited face to face? He goes, well, yeah, but you're in Colorado. And, and I said, I will be there tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was like, it was like six o'clock at night and he's like, no way. I said, I will be. I said, where's your office? I said, what time do you get to your office? I said, I will be there before you. And so <laughs> I drove all night, got there, and uh, and we hung out. Man, we hit it off. 
Yeah. And we, we've been friends ever since until he passed away. And so, um, it was fun to hang out with him. It was fun to sit in his office. It was fun to uh, talk about Napoleon Hill, talk about Napoleon Hill's shortcomings, talk about Napoleon Hill's successes. Because um, wasn't, didn't they, I don't know if this is true or not, but wasn't it something going around that he's a, actually a con artist? No. Well, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff always going around about somebody. Yeah. But I guess there could be stuff like that. But he wasn't a con artist at all. I mean, he was a... Uh, he understood the mind. He, that's one thing he, he understood, oh. and, you know, and changing your changing the way you think about things. Yeah. But what he what he didn't understand, there were still a few key points to success that he didn't quite understand and have dialed in. But I mean, you're talking about a man that's interviewed Henry Ford, Thomas Edison. I mean, you're talking about a man that has interviewed some incredible people. Yeah. And had an opportunity to do so, and so I've always had huge respect for. You know, one of the things Napoleon Hill says is, "Is I can always learn something from the man who's done more than me." And I, you know, whether it's positive or negative, I ain't never had a chance to sit down with Henry Ford. I've never had a yeah. chance to sit down with Thomas Edison, so I can definitely learn from from uh, Napoleon Hill. And so, matter of fact, I'll show you something here. Let me slide off camera real quick. So, one of the cool things that uh, a gift from uh, Leo um, was because he ran the school, he actually had the last copy. It's, no it's a four-volume copy. And so I got four of these. Um, but it's the last copies of Napoleon Hill's uh, training program to go through his school. Wow. Yeah, that's – and it's it's in – for the listener not watching, it's in like OG manuscript style. It's not – Oh, yeah. It's not a paperback yeah. book. It's, it's like the, yeah. the spiral notebook. Yeah, that yeah, – wow. You, open, cool. you see all the old stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just – yeah, I love it. I love it. And and uh, it was sitting on his bookshelf, and I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, that is the original? And he goes, yeah. That, well, he goes, that's my copy, but that's the original um, – curriculum for the school and i was like that's awesome and the next time i came to visit him he had a copy of it for me <laughs> so i thought that was cool so I, I i honestly i i wouldn't be surprised if i'm the last person to have a copy of napoleon hill's original yeah. man, uh, curriculum for his school damn so one thing i i've heard that i really like on this podcast i've been listening to is they they're an entrepreneurship podcast and they they talk about a lot of times people myself included tend to overthink and that the the strat you you don't need to plan that far ahead the strategy is intensity like going after it with all your might is what you should be doing and it sounds like that's something you did you you called this guy on the phone and you said I'll be there tomorrow before you uh, I I just imagine you you know maybe on your motorcycle or something driving or riding yep. in the, through the night just to get there before him. Um, where do you feel like that drive inside you came from? Well, that's another interesting story. <laughs> um, when I was 18, I was uh, driving a little spirited and rolled a car, uh, mm. a 68 Oldsmobile 442, and... Um, I rolled that car and broke my back, and I was paralyzed from the break, uh, from my uh, waist down. And, Damn. Uh, and that was at 18. And 
I was, uh, you know, it's funny because it was three days before I was supposed to report for the military. I had, huh. I was, uh, I had already sworn in to join the army and I was going to be, uh, my MOS was going to be underwater demolitions. And I had, um, I was supposed to report on Monday to go to basic and Friday before that, um, I rolled the car and, uh, and broke my back and, um, you know, that was a, that was a life change situation right there. And, you know, the doctor said, you know, you know, there's a good chance you may never walk again. And I think it was that, um, that fight in me there is when I realized what a fighter I really was. I, you know, up until then, you know, yeah, I'd gotten in a lot of school fights and stuff like that, you know, just, but I mean, not like, you know, not, nothing that like determined who I really was. Um, but I had worked so hard, uh, that when I was, I mean, I remember the nurses coming in two, three o'clock in the morning, catching me in the, uh, physical therapy room by myself. And they're like, you can't be in here. You're not supposed to be in here. You go back to your room, blah, blah, blah. You know? And, and, uh, I was determined. I, I, I didn't care. Every waking moment I wanted to be in there making myself learn to walk and making my, you know, getting, you know, uh, you know, doing whatever it took, whatever I could do. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that fight in me has, is what has changed. Uh, because, because I took that fight, you know, after that and I, you know, I implemented that same thing when I worked in the prison. Right. And so I knew that no matter how big the guy was or how big the person was or how big the challenge is, whatever, however you want to look at it, I just had to outwork them. I had to outdo them and I had to outlast them. That was the only difference. I mean, I, I've taken on guys twice my size and I would, you know, and, and I, I just got in my head that it doesn't matter. We're going to go toe to toe and we'll go toe to toe and I'll just go, I just need to go two seconds longer than he does. <laughs> and so I yeah. just need to outlast him. And so that's how I've taken on business as well. And so I've gone into it and, and, um, I just, I, I never miss an opportunity. I, well, I have missed opportunities, but I, I, I try not to miss opportunities. I try, um, to go above and beyond. Um, and I always try to go that extra mile. Yeah. So it's like, you don't miss the opportunities you see, but sometimes yeah. as anyone, you know, opportunities yeah. come and go and you might not even know. Well, yeah. Just like that little, that little crack with Leo, right? And Leo, uh, you know, said, well, yeah, I guess we could meet face to face, you know? Oh, oh, boom. That was, that was an end. I guess we could, huh. you know? And so yeah. I'm like, there, there's my end. I'm not stopping there. So I didn't want him to change his mind. And I'm like, I'll be there first thing in the morning. And so, yeah. so I That's jumped on it. Yeah. So I yeah, saw just, on just like Warren Buffett. I mean, if Warren Buffett called you today and said, "Hey, I, you know, I don't mind sitting down and having lunch with you tomorrow," I guarantee you, you'll find a way to get to Omaha I'd be tomorrow. There. Yeah, yeah, I'd be there. <laughs> I'd be there with the tape recorder, and that'd be a new episode. Yeah, exactly. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. That's um, yeah, that's impressive. What? Okay, so I saw on your site one of the things you work on with clients is helping them get clarity around their goal setting. How yeah. is it that you go about doing that? And how, how do you do that in your own life? Okay. So I'm, I'm an anti fluff guy. Um, you know, I, I, I have no desire for fluff. I have no desire for any of that stuff. So especially when it comes to business. And so my, my point, uh, when we talk about business, it's like, okay, what is it that you want to do? What is it you want to achieve? And where are you at now? So 
basically we build a roadmap. Uh, we start with where you're at, where you want to go, what's the straightest line we can get you to get there. No fluff, no, no nothing, right? And so what's the fastest way to get you there? And so that's what we work on. And we work on, uh, you know, doing that. We work on um, uh, what I call the six-month blueprint. Hmm. And so uh, we work it backwards. So where do you want to be? Where's your business want to be in six months? And then we, we write that in detail, and then we reverse it, reverse engineer it. And um, and and so I, you know, I often tell people, you know, that the journey is always like a roadmap. I mean. If you and I jumped in a car right now, we're in Col- I'm in Colorado, um, and so if we jumped in a car right now and said, "Hey, let's go to New York," and we had no maps, no GPS, no nothing, we'd get there. We know it's kind of you know north and you'd go yeah east and, and north. Yeah, yeah, we'd we'd eventually get there, um, but without a roadmap, it's not going to be the most efficient route. Yeah, I see. So, so my my follow up question is. You're taking the route, you're on the roadmap, you're a couple states in, and you realize there's a more efficient route. How do you go about, in life, making that correction? Well, that's the pivot, you know, and all, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a pivot. And so, uh, I've taken I've taken many a pivots, but that's the reason why you, you want everything written down is because, so, I keep, sorry, I keep looking off because I've... Uh, I get rid of my big forty-inch screen so that I can see my mountain range yeah. here. So I'm, so I'm always I'm Sounds always looking out at the mountains yeah. here. So sorry if I'm not looking at the screen all the no, time. No, no worries. And then on my wall back here is is my six-month blueprint. And so basically, on is if you envision six blocks, six individual squares, and in month six I write everything that I want to achieve in month six. I want a new car. I want this. I want that. Whatever. You write it all there. Uh, my business needs to be doing X amount of dollars a month. You know, all that. Well, in order to reverse engineer it, let's just say, I don't know, you, you've got a a plumbing business. Let's just say you've got a plumbing business, okay? If you want to reverse engineer it and you want to make $100,000 by month six, well, then by month, month five, you need to have how many employees you know, and in order to do that, you got to know how, you know, what's the average service call it. So let's say your average service calls $500. Okay. Um, and so how many employees do you need in order to be able to make a hundred thousand dollars? And so you reverse engineer it. So by month five, I need 10 employees by month four. I need to be training those employees by month three. I need to hire employees. And so you, you, you start putting all that in there. So Month three, you, you write hire employees. Month two, you put um, talk to a, a recruiting office about hiring yeah. employees, and so you, you, you reverse engineer every step, and then that way, if you do run into a pivot, you can look at your whole map and you've got your whole floor plan right there, and you look and go, okay, it's okay to do that pivot, and we can make that happen, and, and it'll still work in our blueprint. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess the the pivoting thing is something I've been really working on because a lot of I'm still. Let's take the podcast for example. My okay. goal is to have ten thousand listeners in the next six months, and I'm at a hundred. I don't know okay. how feasible that is. I don't know if that's even achievable. To be fair, I know it can. Well, it probably can be done, but well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop right there. First of all, what the mind can conceive and believe 
You can't achieve. That's Napoleon Hill. <laughs> okay? So, if you believe it, you can achieve it. All right? If that's what you want and that's your goal, then put that in month six and don't change your goal. Don't move the goalpost. So, put it in month six and then how do you do it? Okay, so one of, here's one of the things that most people... <laughs> I'll give you a real life hack here, okay? So say you want to achieve something, 10,000 people on your podcast, okay? Who has 10,000 people on their podcast? Go and research all those people in the same genre, right? So yeah. you research all those people and you ask them, how did you get to 10,000 people? How did you get to 10,000 people? How did you get to 10,000 people? Then you write all that stuff down and then to yourself... You say, okay, this is how 10 people got 10 podcasts got to 10,000 people. Now, how can I do that, what they've done, and how can I do it in half the time? Okay, and then that's a little life hack right there. And so we don't ever tell ourselves that. We don't ever, we don't ever, uh, we just say, okay, well, Joe did it, and this is how long it took him to do it. Uh, that, that must be how long it's going to take me to do it. No. That's one question that nobody ever asked. How do I take Joe's plan to get to 10,000 people and how do I cut it in half? Hmm. So, yeah, if, you, I, if you want 10,000 people, 10,000 people on your podcast, have you talked to people with 10,000 people on their podcast? No, I don't even know many people with podcasts in real life. Okay, well, there's your first problem. <laughs> That's, right? That is a problem. I want to hang out with more podcasters. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> it's something exactly. I think about, and that no, that makes total sense. This is the thing that I enjoy most in my life, and anyone who's close to me knows that. Is that my I was put on this earth to talk, and I realized there's a channel where I can talk, meet new people, cool people like yourself. Uh, we can just shoot the shit and put it out for people to learn. Like to me, that's awesome. That's that's me living life. But I yeah. don't know many others doing that, and it's it it is kind of frustrating because it's like sometimes I just want to talk about the struggles of growing a podcast. It ain't easy, <laughs> and so well, yeah, you got to surround yourself with other podcasters, then, man. You got to build that in your community. So here's the beauty of social media: you can pick who you want on your social media. Yeah, that's very true. You know, if you're on Twitter, go and follow all the top podcasters and only talk with them. And message them and talk with them and, and learn from them and ask them questions. They will answer your questions. You know, the, one of the things I, I tell people all the time is, you know, going back to what you were just saying, you know, it's like, you know, a guy came to me one time. He goes, hey, I want to I I open up a burrito store. And I was like, okay, have you ever, op have you ever ran a burrito store? No. I was like, all right. But he, he knew all the numbers. <laughs> He knew all the numbers, right? He goes, oh, this is how much it's going to cost to make a burrito, blah, 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 blah. He, he got it all figured out. He, he, he had the design of his logo. He had everything. And I mean, this guy was like literally getting ready to open up the burrito shop. And I said, but you've never ran a burrito shop. He goes, no. And I says, you know, there's a lady down the street that she runs a burrito business. He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm going to beat her. And I said, okay. I said, <laughs> what? But she's hiring. I, I, I was in there the other day, and that said, you know, they're, they're hiring. He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, but it's like 12 bucks an hour. I was like, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. I was like, go down there and apply for the job. 
So he went down there and applied for the job. He calls me three weeks later. And he goes, man, he goes, I am so glad you talked me into that. He goes, you just saved me a, at least $50,000. <laughs> he goes, he goes, did you realize you got to wake up at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning? And then you smell like fried bread all day and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and he told you all this stuff he hated about burritos. He was <laughs> like, man, I am so glad I'm not doing that anymore. But that's what I'm saying is just surround your people, you know, uh, surround yourself with those people. Um, if that's what you want to do, if you want to be a top podcaster, you can't, you can't be a top podcaster if you don't know any top podcasters. Yeah. And another yeah, that's brilliant. Like I've been following my my Twitter and my LinkedIn is is around topics that I really like and they're related to my work, like entrepreneurship, being a product manager. I work at a startup as a product manager. Like these are all very relevant. But none of it has to do with the podcast space, which is the thing that to me gives me the most energy and the most enjoyment. And yeah, I I'm kind of kicking myself now, honestly, for being, why haven't I thought of that one before? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go, but there you go. Yeah. So like on Twitter, for instance, you don't even have to, you don't even have to follow them. I mean, if you find a top podcaster and you're interested in them, click on their uh, profile and then there's a button there where you can add them to a list and add them to a list that says top, you know, you know, title it top podcasters. And just add them to that list, and then every morning go in there and just watch what they're posting, watch what they're doing, yeah. talk to them, interact with them, whatever you want to do. That's what I'm most curious about: is how are they promoting? Like, what yeah. channels are they using? What's like driving? Well, you can't know that listeners. unless you're yeah. following them, unless you're unless you're interacting with them. Ron, you have simultaneously made me feel like a fool and get really excited for the next <laughs> month of work at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. Th- I mean, this is your job, right? You you help people out like this. This is kind of what I do. This is what yeah. I do, man. Yeah, <laughs> it brings a smile to your face. So I love it. So we talked about what happened when you were eighteen. We talked about uh, your time. Well, do you do you have any prison guard stories you want to go over before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I, I the only thing I really want to touch on in that is probably that the fact that. Um, Nothing put life into perspective more <laughs> than watching, you know, watching a bunch of guys on death row that literally have nothing to live for, um, and and to see that you know they're pretty much their souls already dead, you know, in their eyes, and just watching that, and it just put life in a different perspective. And and one of the things that dawned on me, and I don't know why it took me this long. I was I was working at the prison for four years. I did uh, I did the riot team. I did hand to hand training, so I, I was like the instructor for all the riot teams, uh, teaching hand to hand combat. And then I worked death row in Huntsville, Texas. And then um, I was sitting there one day, and I realized I'm looking at my paycheck, and I get you know we didn't get paid jack squad, but I was looking at my paycheck, and I went, the only difference between me and the guy on death row is that I. I'm getting paid to be here and I'm doing it voluntarily. How stupid am I as that to spend half my life in prison voluntarily. And yeah. I literally, once that, that thought entered my mind, I could not get it out of my mind. And I quit, I quit within 24 hours of that thought. I could wow. not do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, I guess the, <laughs> the difference between you and them was that you you didn't want to be there. Or sorry, sorry, they didn't want to be there. You they didn't want to be there. there. I was there voluntarily like an yeah. idiot. I mean, like, well, how <laughs> stupid is this? So, yeah, I, I, I literally quit. Um, but, you know, it was because of – and I, I, I got to give credit 100%, I, and I always will. I'll give all my credit to a, a man named Alan Brown. Um, he lived in the town that I lived in. I, one of the prisons I opened was a supermax prison and, um, I was there to open that prison and I, um, me and my wife had just gotten married. We were so broke, man. We were so broke. And I worked 12 hour shifts, four days on four days off at the prison. And, um, uh, there was a time that my wife did not do the checkbook correctly and moved the decimal point in the wrong spot. And so instead of having $25, you know, this is how, how broke we were. Instead of having $25 for gas in the, in the checking account, we had uh, 25 cents <laughs> and I had still had like two weeks to go to the end of the month. I was like, Oh man. And so I remembered this, this junkyard uh, on the way to the prison that I, I often stopped at and got parts and the owners, his name was Alan Brown. So I went in there and I talked with him. I said, Hey Alan, I said, I need some cash. I said, Is there any work you can, you, you can throw at me. And he goes, yeah, he goes, we're crushing cars right now. We're in the, you know, and a whole bunch of cars were crushing them out. He goes, I need somebody to cut the gas tanks out of these cars before we can crush them. And I was like, I'll do it. And so I was making like $20 a day, man. Ugh, terrible. And he'd lift, the, he'd lift the cars with a forklift, and I'd get underneath there with these big clamps, and I'd cut the Damn. metal bands. And so I'd get like all this old gas on me. It was Texas summers, man. It was like 110 out. And yeah, I, shit. I smelled like nasty old gas and I was cutting all these tanks out and, and he was crushing the cars and at the end of the day he'd give me a $20 bill I just, I'll just i never forget that I was just like oh this sucks man this sucks and um, and but he had something that I didn't have which was his own business and I had never he was actually the first entrepreneur I ever met first guy first one because my dad was in the army so for you know for most of my life, I was surrounded by military guys, so I didn't. Yeah, and and that was were. the path that was gonna go to you, but everything yeah, happened for my, a reason. Yeah, that was gonna be my path. Yeah, three so, days before. Yeah, yeah. So I had no idea what an entrepreneur even was. I just thought they were like these ultimate rich guys, and and you know, I, I, I literally I'd never met an entrepreneur. And I told him, I said, "Man, Alan," I said. He handed me a twenty dollar bill. He said, "I said tomorrow I'm gonna use this twenty to take you to lunch," and I says. And I'm gonna pick your brain so that this is the last time I work for twenty dollars. <laughs> and he laughed and he goes, you know, he goes, I like that. And he said, Let's go to lunch. And so we went to lunch the next day. He bought, luckily. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> so broke. <laughs> we sat down, we sat down, and he's like, you know, he said I, I, I think the 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 part for me was I never made money on my own for myself. I always had to have, I was always trained, go get a job, get a paycheck. And so he's like, you see that car out there? And I said, yeah. He says, how much money you got? I said, oh, geez. you know, I told him, I said, I, I don't know. I think I got like a hundred bucks. He says, I'll sell you that car for $75. And he says, I want you to get it running, get it tuned up. 
I said, okay. So I did. We got, I got the car running, got it tuned up. He said, now drive it to work. And so the perfect for sale sign in it. I said, okay. So when I came out from the work, uh, out of the prison, there was like th- uh, three or four guards standing around the car. And uh, one of them says, hey, man, I want this car, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, okay. And I said, well, I, th- I think I sold the car for $800. I told him it's $800. He said, I ain't got any $100. He goes, we're all broke, you know. Yeah. And he says, he says, I'll give you $400. I said, I oh, man, I said, I can't do that. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll do $400 and then you can pay me $100 a month. And he's like, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. And so I think, I think it was like the, the, the second month he comes up to me, the second page trying to pay me. And, and he says, uh, hey, man, the starter went out on that car. And he says, I ain't got money to fix it. And he says, would you take the car back? I said, sure. So I took the car back. I put a starter in it, put it back up for sale. I kept selling that car over and over. <laughs> that was the first time that I, I made I made money on my own, you know. And so yeah. that that was the that was the aha moment for me. I was like, you mean I can make money and not have to have a boss? And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so and, and man, I was off to the races after that. Man, once I understood that and I quit the prison, man, there there was just. I had a drive in me like you ain't never seen, man. I was, oh my gosh, it almost, it almost cost me my my marriage. Uh, really? Because yeah, because I was all. I mean, I was twenty four seven working, man. I mean, I was getting three hours of sleep at night sometimes, and I was just like, I was finding cars. And so what I did is I was finding. I lived in Texas, and most of Texas is pretty rust free. So I was I was buying rust free classic cars in Texas, and I was shipping them up to like New York, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all, you know the Rust Belt, uh, to all these body shops up there. Um, you know, so I mean, I was getting to the point where they were they were calling me, and they're like, "Hey, Ron, I need I need a '57 Chevy, I need a '69 Roadrunner, I need this, I need that." And so I had a big list of all the cars people were hunting for, and. Um, and so I was just going all over the state of Texas, man, and I was I was finding everything. I was shipping cars to Australia, New Zealand, wow. uh, Denmark. I mean, yeah. And so I think I started that business when I was twenty four, and by the time I was twenty six, we had already made our first million. Damn. Yeah. Never yeah. looked back. Never looked back, man. That was the yeah, and uh, man, I was whew. Yeah, but like I said, it almost cost me a marriage. Had to had to back. I had to learn to <laughs> I had to learn to uh, to to adjust my time. Where did that balance come into play, or when I should say? When my wife was packing her bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was clueless. Last, I was, last I was second dumb, buzzer beater. Oh man, I was such a dumb clueless kid. Man, I had no idea. And I mean, I seriously thought we had everything. I mean, like, what do you need? We got everything. But you know, things are rocking and rolling. What are you talking about? Yeah, I had no clue, man. I had no clue. She's like, I haven't seen you in a month, you know. And and so yeah, it was just yeah, it was terrible. It was it was like I said, I was so clueless and naive. You don't know what you don't know, you know. And yeah, and I was just so young and dumb, you know. And, and that's uh, a that's actually how old I am right now. What advice would you go back and tell your twenty six year old self? Um, it's not all about the money, hmm. um, and these. This is probably going to be an unpopular opinion, 
Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure it is, I, see, I see it all the time, but I, I will tell you this. Um, I would focus a whole lot more on finding, are you married? No. Okay. For me, my advice, I would focus a whole lot more on finding a life companion than I would be on building a business. Hmm. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why is my wife, if it wasn't for my wife, I, I guarantee you she's 10 X my life my businesses as well. Um, when you've got a good companion by your side and, and they, they help you uh, see ahead down the road, gives you somebody to bounce ideas off. It's your mastermind partner. It's your companion. Um, you know, and all these guys that are, these young guys that are not getting married, they're not wanting them, you know, you know, you see these pictures of them, sitting on a beach in the middle of Brazil and, you know, and they're living the life, you know, and I'm like, you don't, you don't even know what life is yet, but you don't know what life is. So, um, yeah, I, I would, I know it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I tell you what, if it wasn't for my wife and my family, that would, uh, it, it wouldn't matter how much money I made or how big my businesses were. The life would suck. Yeah. I, Popular or unpopular, that's, you know, that's up to the people. Who cares? That's a very unique piece of advice because I can yeah. say I, I surely haven't heard that before. And it comes at an interesting time. I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself to feel like I need to start a company or do my own thing. Or the the question I was going to ask you is like, how would I go about making my own money on my own? I know what my skills are, but I'm I'm having difficulty monetizing it. But ev- like... I also have realized at the same time, the pressure I put on myself, like pushes away not only like romantic opportunities, but friends as well. Like I, I don't hang out with as many people as I used to. And part of it is the balance of like what, um, part of it is the balance and the quality of that friend or romantic partner. You know, it's not picking someone just to pick someone or hanging out with friends just to hang out with people. It's like the quality as well. But I feel like I've just kind of dumped all of it for uh, working hard. And it's been hitting me lately where I was like, yeah, but is this fun? Is this like what you want to do in the end? Because everyone keeps telling me like money's not not that it's not worth it, but money's just not all you think it is. And I get it, but then it's like, what is? Yeah. Well, for me, it's my family. I mean, again, I, at 26, even though it almost cost me my marriage, if it wasn't for the support of my wife, I'm telling you, I would be drunk, dead, in a ditch somewhere. I mean, I literally... Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I was running that hard. I was running that hard, and it took my wife, you know, almost leaving to to straighten me out and get me, you know, that that turning point for me though was something that was very important. And then I I started valuing her opinion, which I didn't do before that. Um, and so then she became my mastermind partner. Even that's mm. as long before I even knew what a mastermind partner was. Um, you know, and so when I started my next business or I was off to the races on another business, you know, it was brainstorming with her and sitting down with her and talking with her about what we wanted and dreaming about. And, you know, her, her goal is to tell me, you know, 
she goes, I don't want to live in Texas anymore. I want to move, you know, somewhere else. I want to go to Colorado or Utah, somewhere else. It's not so hot in the summers and blah, blah, blah. And fine, let's do it. If that's what you want, we'll make it happen, you know, and boom, off the races, you know, I, I just yeah go on and create another business, you know, and so we moved somewhere else. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough one because um, – like I said, I, I think it's an unpopular opinion right now because everybody seems to be, at least on my Twitter feed, it seems to be a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people posting, you know, they're living on a beach somewhere in yeah. Mexico or whatever. And never getting married. <laughs> and never getting married. And I just think that's such a waste. I think it's a, I think it's a missed opportunity. And you don't, again, you don't know what you don't know and, and you don't yeah. know what you're missing um, until you, until you've had it, you have no clue. So... That's true. I've, yeah, I've, I've met. I've never met anybody that regretted having kids, but I've met plenty of people that don't have kids that have regretted it. So, um, yeah, kids, family, wife, in my opinion, are, are important. But the most important thing is who you pick. Um, you've got to pick somebody that's supportive of of uh, an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial lifestyle <laughs> if you want to be an entrepreneur. You know, don't don't pick somebody that you know their their father was a doctor and and uh, you know thinks that you got to have a nine to five. Um, yeah. In order to make a living. I've actually have heard that one before. Is it, yeah. it whatever partner it is, they they should be very understanding of like the work you do is just different. It's just very oh, very man. different. And when you get a supportive wife, I'm telling you, you your work will ten x. I mean, your work your you have you have no idea, man. It's just like once your wife is back behind you and supporting you and helping you, man. And they and they, a good wife, my wife, you know, bless her heart. I mean, she will step in. I mean, we used to do events. I used to do events, and and I jumped into that. I just, like every other business, you know, just literally jumped off the plane, built the parachute on the way down, kind of guy, <laughs> you know, and. And I started an event business, never had an event before, and my first <laughs> event was like 30,000 attendees. My wife was – she was running the ticket booth. She was collecting the money. She was running all over the yeah. place, helping wherever she could. I mean, yeah, she was a lifesaver on a lot of this stuff, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even think I could even imagine – the you know this this same life without having that partner i see that with my parents they they met around like 18 19 i sometimes joke with them that they (laughs) i guess it's not a very nice joke but i'm like you guys ruined love for me because you you met so young and now it's like how how that's not happening to me but um at the same time she helps my dad all the time she she helped him with setting up events when they were my dad runs a company and they were just getting started like maybe five six people and she was helping with the events and i remember she was like i've never done events before like what do i even do and something clicked in her brain my dad said just pretend you're throwing a birthday party for the kids (laughs) and it was the one of the best damn events the the company still talks about it (laughs) it's so true i mean this is so true and me and my wife, we met when we were really young too. You know, I'd been on my own since I was like sixteen, and so we met when I was nineteen. She was seventeen, and um, we got married when I—I I think I had just turned twenty when we got married. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we were married pretty young too. Yeah, and uh, well, now the last thing I want to get into, and 
and talk about is your adventure traveling. I'm curious mm-hmm. how, when did you, it sounds like you were always a very hard worker. When did you kind of like take a step back and, and decide to start traveling? I, I really like the fact that you, you did that. <laughs> it was a, it was a thought I had had. So because we we're in the military, we always got to go see cool places. You know, my dad was in yeah. the army. Uh, we were stationed in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got to see all kinds of cool places. Right. And, um, but I didn't get to see my grandpa very much because, you know, we were stationed everywhere else, you know? And so I only saw my grandpa a handful of times my whole life. And, uh, every time I saw my grandpa, he had the same stories. <laughs> And bless his heart, but I, I tell you, I just, I swore to myself, man, I was going to live a life that I never ran out of stories to tell my grandkids. That's what I told myself. Damn, that's and, cool. And so anytime I have an opportunity, I, I mean, honestly, I started in high school though, because uh, I remember making that promise to myself in high school and I was sitting, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in Frankfurt, Germany, Frankfurt American High School. And I was listening to a history guy, a boring history teacher. Oh, my gosh. He was so boring. And he was talking about World War II. And I'm looking out the window, well, like I am now. And I'm sitting there staring out the window. And I literally can see World War II locations from the window of the high school. <laughs> and I'm like, why in the heck am I listening to you when I could be out there living it? Mm-hmm. And I literally walked out of school that day and didn't go back for a long time. <laughs> and I skipped school and I was, but I toured, I mean, I toured every castle in Germany. I toured up and down the Rhine River. I saw concentration camps. I've been to Hitler's bunker. I've been to, D, you know, uh, Normandy. I've been to, you know, you name it. I've seen it. And, uh, and I did all that before I was 17. Um, you know, actually before I was 16. So, um, yeah, I saw a ton of places, man. And, um, I, you know, I have a love for history. I have a love for traveling and, um, that's how it all started for me. Wow. (laughs) And then it ended, uh, my favorite of the trips you, you've had was your, uh, your motorcycle trips around Iceland. It, It was Iceland and was the other one also in the Arctic circle or was that somewhere else? It was, well, it was Arctic Circle, but it was a different place. It was uh, Alaska. I, I rode up to the northern tip of mm. Alaska. Mm. And so, you know, my kind of my claim to fame, I guess what I tell people is that they say, you know, where have you been? And I, I get this, I, I, I say, I've watched the sun set and the sun rise on every ocean on the planet. And my mo- I've dipped the front tire of my motorcycle in almost every ocean on the planet and I've um, I've been every place that I've ever dreamed I wanted to go I've gone um, and I'm discovering new places to go now um, but all the bucket list items that I had when I was young I mean I've hit um, and so uh that that was fun. Iceland was an opportunity um, that I just couldn't pass up. I mean, uh, 
I, I had wanted to start a company called Overland Journey and I wanted to do Overland Travel. And so I, so this is one of those failures, right? But it wasn't a failure. Um, my idea at the time was I, I'm going to, I'm going to motorcycle around the world and I'm going to YouTube it and I am going to make a million dollars doing it. And I realized that I hated it. <laughs> I hated filming it. Um, <laughs> I did not. I did not like filming it. And so I literally quit doing that because I wanted to enjoy the trip. I didn't want yeah. to worry about, oh, we got to be here to film this at noon and we got to do You don't this. want to worry about the angles, charging the, the camera. Angles and the walk, you know, walk out and shake this guy's hand three times to get the right angles yeah. on the camera. And I don't, oh, heck with this, man. I want to enjoy the trip. And so I was like, this isn't a, you know, I thought it was going to be a vacation. I'm like, this ain't a vacation when I got to sit here and worry about all this yeah. crap. So I, um, I uh, quit doing it, but before that, I, I did I did that little short documentary that you watched about uh, going across Iceland, and so we had the opportunity to do that, and and um, I really really enjoyed that trip, and and that uh, looked like good fun. My favorite part oh, was when you dipped the the bottle inside the clear geyser or the clear stream and just drank straight out of it. That's uh yeah. so one of my one of my hobbies thanks to a, a former guest on the show got me into like traditional style tea and one thing about tea I mean it's 99% water so the kind of water you get kind of matters. matters and they say that the best tea comes from water that you get straight like clear from a stream like that and that's the first thing I thought of is I was like, that probably makes the best tea in the world. <laughs> like if it's just that pure of water. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does. I, I tell you what, that was the best tasting water I've oh, ever had. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I tried the same thing when I went to the Arctic Circle. I was like, you know, I want to drink from the Yukon. Oh, that was nasty, <laughs> dirty water. But yeah. I, I did drink it, but it was nasty, dirty water. I yeah. had to run it through a filter. but. It wasn't near like glacier water straight yeah. from Iceland, man. I'm telling you yeah. what, that was just, that was so good. I could not stop drinking water. I mean, I had that one, I think, I, I think I only had like one or two Cokes over there. And then the rest of the time, I literally, I could not stop drinking. So hydrated. Uh, the, their Icelandic water, man. I, I mean, like literally every time we stopped, I was looking for a creek. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I yeah. loved, I loved it. Uh, you know, and it, you know, it's funny because I did that trip before. I don't know if you remember a few years ago that they had that big volcano go off. No, I don't remember. Yeah, so they had a big volcano that went off in Iceland, and uh, I contacted my buddy Ray, uh, Thrander um, and asked him, and yeah, a lot of that, uh, some of that footage where we went to the top of a uh, of a mountain and we were overlooking some stuff, and I think there was a spot where we were taking a break and all that, but. Anyway, he said, "Yeah, that whole mountaintop is gone." <laughs> I'm like, "You took you, you took us up to the live volcano." He goes, "Well, I didn't know it was alive. <laughs> I didn't know it was alive." <laughs> yeah, and so the whole that whole the whole mountaintop had been blown off Damn. and is no longer even there. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um. Oh. What, okay. So you said you've been to all the places that you wanted to to go to, all the bucket list items. Yeah. Uh, how, how exactly does that feel? And I, the context I ask that with is a lot of people, for a lot of people, it's the actual, like, 
dreaming of going to a place is the best part. You know, it's like the the leading up to it. And then when they're there, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't live up to expectations. But then it's like, what do I chase after next? Um, how, like, how does it feel to have actually hit your entire bucket list and had all these cool adventures uh, looking back on them, having stories for the grandkids? That, there you hit it right there. It, to me, it's, it's all about the stories. It's the memories. It, yeah, I don't care that... I broke down, you know, that to me, that's part of the story, you know, is when you break down or, you know, the, yeah. the trip didn't go as planned or, or I got the wind blew over or, the bikes. That was another fun. Or the wind, yeah, yeah. Like, like in Iceland where <laughs> yeah. the wind blew. Oh my gosh. They're big was ass bikes. Wind. Yeah. Those are some blows, big blows ass bikes. Over the kickstands. <laughs> was that the, the KL? No, those were the BMWs, right? No, those are KLRs. Those are pretty, pretty thick bikes. Yeah. They're heavy bikes and it literally and we put them against the wind with the kickstands. Yeah. And it blew them over the kickstand. I, I, I couldn't believe it. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, to me, those are the stories. The, the breakdown, that's the story. You know, I mean, that was the, uh, you know, when, when you break down in the middle of Mexico, it, it's the people that you meet and the per- person yeah. that helped you load the bike in the back of the truck and, Blah blah blah, and that's all part of the story, man. It, it's all part of the story, and that's what I love about it is, is nobody's. If you make a motorcycle trip across Iceland, I guarantee you, your story is going to be one hundred percent completely yeah. different than mine, even if you took the same route. And so that's the beauty of it um, is we all make our own stories. I uh, quick like detractor the KLR. I was actually so when I was switching my bikes, I told you I had a sports bike. I had a Gixxer six hundred, and I was it was just too fast for streets. Quite honestly, I don't know why, how anyone gets even leader bikes. Like these things are meant for tracks, and <laughs> the freeway is not a track, as I found yeah. out. So I was like, I also really just want to get into more dirt biking, more adventure biking, and like actually going places with my motorcycle. Uh, so I was looking at either a DR650 or a KLR, um, and I, I settled on the DR, but the, the KLR, when getting on it, it felt it definitely felt more adventure Uh It was a nice bike. I, I really liked it, um, but I never got a chance to test it out. You know, it's funny because I've ridden just about every every bike there is, and, and to me, the one that still it, – it's kind of like an old glove, you know, when there's a there's – a, there's a bike out there. When you get on it, you just feel like you're in it. And everybody's bike is different. That's the reason why there's a mm. ton of different bikes, right? Yeah. For me, it's the BMW 650 uh, Dakar. When I sit on that bike, I'm not sitting on a bike. I'm sitting in the bike. I just feel like I'm part of it. It's just like it's like putting on an old glove, man. I just, yeah. I feel so comfortable on that bike. And that'll probably be the last bike for me. My... <laughs> My my uh, BMW 650 right now has got 120 thousand miles on it. Damn! <laughs> how many did? How many were? Was it new when you got it? Is that all you? Yeah, it's all adventure. Oh, wow. It's all adventure trips. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Matter of fact, I think it was in the BMW magazine, the motorcycle magazine, for like the you know the most miles in the shortest time or something. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, I I uh, I've been all over the place in that bike, and I've ridden that living heck out of it, and. Um, uh, but I just feel so comfortable in that bike, and you know, I, I see guys that are on these big twelve fifties and all this stuff. Man, they, they can't even pick those things up. You know, I mean, these guys, 
and, and that's not what I wanted. I want a, I want a bike that you know I lay it down I'm by myself. I can reach down, and pick it up, and keep yeah. going. You know, yeah. People don't really think that far. Sometimes I see that with those those big ass baggers, the Harleys. I'm like, if I were to drop that on the street, how would I get it up? That thing's like 900 pounds. I have to deadlift, oh, yeah. like in the summer heat, <laughs> deadlift this yep. bike just to go back to riding. Yeah, I was on a I was on a trip in the middle of where was where were we going? We were riding the Continental Divide Trail, hmm. and I was on my six fifty, and I had a buddy on his big old twelve fifty uh, GS Adventure, and he's small. He's he's a small guy. He's he's half my size, and uh, and so we looked funny here. We looked like we were on the wrong bikes, you know, because <laughs> I'm I'm twice his size yeah. and I'm on half the bike, you know, and. Um, and we're riding around, and I come up around the corner, and there he is. He's he's laid out, and his bike is in the dirt, you know, and he's trying to pick it up, and he couldn't pick it up. And uh, I was like, what, what, what's going on, you know? And I pull up, and I was like, you need help? He's like, no, I'm going to get it. He goes, I'm going to get it. I'm bound and determined to get it myself. I was like, all right. And so I kick off, you know, kick stand down, and I'm sitting there watching him. And he's having to unload his bike, taking the bags off to try and – uh, make the bike lighter and i'm like man that is the last thing you want to do yeah on an adventure trip is sit there and having to unload it every time you lay it down you know and just yeah that that was, to me was just a confirmation that i, I chose the right yeah. bike for me i was just i was just looking it up that the car is a nice bike i've never i've never seen that i know the gs but i've never seen those uh, so it looks yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, the 650 Dakar it has a rotax uh single cylinder engine in it and i'll tell you what man that thing is Whew, I love that bike, man. That is, uh, to me, that's a bullet, one bulletproof bike. Yeah, that's. I mean, that was a big reason why I got the the DR. Is I I just wanted something that I wasn't afraid to drop, something that could fall, and that's what they're meant to do. Just pick it back up, keep yeah. riding. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, going back to what you were talking about with the street bikes, though, you know, when we did that Discovery Channel, um, that, that show on Discovery Channel. One of the businesses I helped was a, a turbo company, and he he put turbos. His goal was to put, you know he raced a, a six fifty street bike, but he put a turbo on it, and he was running with these one liter guys all day long, man, and Damn. he was just flying by them because he was he was lighter and faster, and you know, and using those turbos, yeah. But, yeah, that's just not my cup of tea. That's not my world, you know. I mean, I, don't, I was, yeah. Don't get me wrong; it was pretty. It was fun. Like I, I oh, yeah. really enjoy. I, I mean, all motorcycling is fun. You could put me on a Grom, and I'd have a great time. Like it, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, it just didn't feel. I don't know. I wanted to be a sports bike person so bad, but I just I don't see myself going to the track. I mean, riding fast is cool, but you can't really ride the bike the way it wants to be ridden normally because that's just not like these things go 180 like they you just can't do i mean yeah. i I'm, I'm not going to do that maybe you can but it's not the safest thing i uh, i would no, prefer it, like going places like actually experiencing yeah. places than i would um just getting to my friend's house a little faster yeah no I, i'm the same way i had a um i had a ducati once and I do want I'm one of those at some point in my life, just just to know what it's like. Just, <laughs> just to, have just one. to yeah, know yeah, what it's yeah. like. It's, yeah. It'll be like a nice yeah. car in your garage. You're not taking it out every weekend, but every once in a while, you want it in that yeah. nice red color. Exactly. Yeah, I had a Ducati Monster Dark. Actually, it was all black. Mine was all black. It was a Ducati Dark Monster, and I'm riding this thing, and yeah, it's fast as crap. And I mean, yeah, it was fun. 
But every time I pass a dirt road or I see a trail up in the mountains, I go, oh, I wonder where that goes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I was like, nah, I'm going back to my BMWs yeah. or something, you know? And then I, you know, that way I can just go and wander. Plus, you know, t- to me, most of the most of the people that end up wiping out or getting getting hurt or seriously, you know, or killed or, you know, the ones that are on the street all the time, you know. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather be up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere by myself than be in downtown Denver, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'll no- fall on your own, but you won't smack a car on the way down. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to eat somebody's bumper or grill, you know. So, yeah, I, I'd much rather be out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So you, I, the last thing I want to bring up is one thing that I've been doing for keeping track of my stories. Have you ever read the book Story Worthy by Matthew Dix? No, I haven't. It's a pretty cool book. Uh, he he just tells he t- teaches how to tell stories, and one thing he does that I think is really cool, and I've since been doing, is every day at the end of the day he has a spreadsheet, and every day he'll write one or two sentences on what separated today from any other day. And it could be little moments. Sometimes I've had times where it was just me having a quick conversation with my parents that just kind of changed one conversation, you know, maybe a couple words said, changed and grew the nature of our relationship. It could be times with your friends when, uh, you know, maybe someone fell back on their chair, you were all making fun of them, whatever. But every day I try to write down something that why was today different than yesterday? I've been doing it for probably a year now. So I probably close to 365 of these sentences. And I am able to relive every single one of those days just by that sentence. Some meaningless days that normally would have just gotten lost in the mix of, you know, whatever I do in my life. Like these tiny moments, just like I can remember what happened before and after them. And when you start piecing them together, uh, it's, I don't know. It's just really awesome. I don't look back often, but I, I highly recommend to anyone. Um, do you do anything Absolutely. like that to keep track of your days and remember what you do? You know, that's a good idea. You know, no, I, it, I don't. I, I'm, um, you know, one of, one of the things I teach basically is when I journal is I, I do future, what I call future journaling. Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't journal about what I've done. I, I journal about what I'm going to do. Um, and so, you know, my journal usually consists of, you know, you know, today is Monday and this week, this is what I'm going to achieve, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I focus more on what I'm going to do, but I, I, I think I'm going to take you up on that and, and I'm going to write one or two sentences every day in my journal about, uh, the day, the day before, um, before I get started, uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, it, it's it's not until I go back and look at pictures of trips or whatever that it starts jogging all these memories and the, all these things that happened, and and it's like, man, there's a lot in there that that I'm going to forget if I don't uh, if I don't start journaling it. What um what what kind of impact has future journaling had on you? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's life changing, man. It's um, uh, it's one of the things that I teach um, when, when I when I mentor and we, we, when we do coaching is um, is future journaling. Um, you know, every morning I sit down and I focus on what am I going to achieve today, or what is, what is it going to look like, and what is my day going to look like, or what's my future going to look like, or 
you know, matter, matter of fact, it's 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 this right here in my drawer. That's my journal right there, and uh, let's see what it says. Let's go through it real quick here. Yeah, is there like specific All prompt right. that you teach? I this is something I kind of want to add because I've been I've been playing around with talking about what writing more what you want to be rather than what's going on yeah. right now. Uh, most of my journaling yeah. is currently like, what am I thinking about? And then trying to break down and understand those thoughts. They're introspective. Very, I, I do that a lot, very introspective, but I'm, I want to, they, it, sometimes I feel as though I'm staying in the same place. Cause I'm just looking at the same things. If that makes sense. I want to start putting yeah. it somewhere yeah. ahead. Yeah, and so like I'm looking at my journal entry from yesterday. My journal entry yesterday says that I want to double my real estate portfolio in the next 12 months. In order to do that, I'm going to need to look at X amount of more houses, and I need to come up with a formula that will help me achieve this um, in the next few days. Uh, I'm going to reach out to... Can you read my own writing? I'm going to reach out to people that I know already in the, the business and in the, in the industry and see if they can help me um, achieve this. Perhaps I'll take Ryan out to lunch. Yeah, Ryan's in the real estate here. Um, and pick his brain on what we can do to double the portfolio. If we can double the portfolio, I, I feel like my family and uh, kids will be set uh, for life, and I won't need to um, do any more if I don't want to. <laughs> what I wrote. <laughs> oh, knowing you, you're gonna want to, Ron. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Again, I, I just focus on on writing the future and writing what I want to achieve. Uh, because, again, going back to Napoleon Hill, your subconscious mind works on whatever you put it to work on. Um, it doesn't know whether it was in the past. It doesn't know if it's a fear. It doesn't know if it's a plus. It, it has no feelings. Your, yeah. your, your subconscious has no feelings. And so um, if you are scared of money or you're scared of success, your subconscious picks up on that and will keep you in your safe zone and keep you from being successful. Yeah. Um, if you tell your subconscious, I want to double my real estate in the next 12 months, well, your subconscious is going to be constantly working on that. And so even when you're driving down the road, you subconsciously pick up a for sale sign on the side of the road that you didn't even pay attention to, but your subconscious did and went, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. That, that, that might be an opportunity right there. Turn around. I, I definitely so, agree with the power of your subconscious. A big yeah. part of my introspection actually comes from understanding that through it's the process of unlearning what I've learned. So through life I've developed, you know, a lot of thoughts, beliefs, patterns, and I noticed some of them I didn't even put there. They were kind of put there for me, be it my environment, be it school, be it parents. And I'm trying to sort through and see today, 26 year old me and who I want to be maybe, you know, towards 30 how do those thoughts serve that? Are they still aligned with the person I want to be? Is is it not? Like, which thoughts and beliefs stay there? Uh, and it's kind of like 
taking out the knots. Like a lot of my introspection is seeing where the knots in my subconscious and uh, some of them are really tough to undo, I'll be honest, but that's kind of how how I go about things. But I really would like to, yeah, no, I want to include some more of the future stuff uh, just because maybe some of these knots don't don't even need me to untie them. I just need to, you know, well, and, and question everything. I mean, if you're not constantly questioning yourself and your thoughts, um, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Question everything because I, I'll give you an example. My kid said this the other day, and I just cringed. Um, he says, oh, I can't stand sweet meat because my wife was doing uh, putting honey on a ham or something like that. He goes, I can't stand sweet meat. You know where he heard that from? He heard it from me. And so he was just repeating something that I have said, and I've said it in the past, and I've said it a hundred times. She knows that I don't like sweet yeah. meat. Yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs> but the reason I cringed wasn't because – that he doesn't like sweet meat. The reason I quit is because he doesn't question it and he doesn't try it and he yeah. doesn't find out for himself that he doesn't like sweet meat. You know what I mean? He was just doing it because he's heard it from me a hundred times and that's just the way it is. And so even though, even though I try to pass on positive things, yeah. I also pass on negative things too. So, um, uh, but you know, question yourself constantly, I guess is what I'm saying is always question. Why are you saying this or why are you thinking this? And, I don't want to go over there today. Why? Why? You know, always, always ask yourself why. I don't want to do this today. Why is that? You know, and trust me. Um, I, uh, I mean, I have a podcast. I love questions. I love asking people questions, <laughs> but I, I tell people all the time, uh, whatever questions you hear me ask you, just know I'm asking ten times more and more intense to myself. Um, there you go. But hey, go. that's served me well to this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it'll serve you well throughout your yeah. life. I mean, always, always question yourself. If, if you're not questioning yourself, then you're not growing. Ron, speaking of questions, it's time for the closing questions. They're signaling the, right. the end of the show. These are just the quick ones to get to know you for fun. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. What kind of music do you listen to? Country. Country music. Should have guessed. Texas man. <laughs> through and through. <laughs> That's right. Uh, any particular artists? Any is? Do you prefer older country, new country? Um, I, I'm, I'm more of a traditionalist. I'm a Waylon Jennings, um, George Strait, Chris Ledoux. Yeah, the OG. Yeah, the, yeah, the OGs. I don't, I don't like a lot of the new stuff. I do like a few of yeah. them, but you know, Aaron Lewis and you know some guys like that. But uh, most of the most of the new stuff is more sissy pop. <laughs> okay so in in the in the spirit of questioning everything i grew up not loving country hating it actually okay. and i didn't really have a reason as i started listening to more music and i'm i'm very involved in music listeners will know i didn't mention music once so you guys should be proud of me but normally i tell everyone that i play music my brother's a musician whatever uh i love music uh i've been getting more into just in nature of being open-minded, I will ask myself, I went to a metal concert, don't really like metal, but I wanted to see what is it about metal that I like, or what is it that I don't like? I noticed to have a really great appreciation for metal drummers. They do some double kick pedal stuff that is insanely hard and most genres don't pull off. I like the tones of the guitar, the fact that it's very bass heavy, uh, that's cool. So with country, I started 
do the same thing. Like, what do I like about it? What do I not? And whenever I do this, I like going to the absolute classics because a lot of even today, modern day stuff derives its roots from the classics. So what are like the most classic through and through country that um, some someone like myself could could check into? Well, you know, that's a good question because to me, what I loved about country is I, I think it's about the stories, you know, and probably one of the best storytellers out there would, I would say would be Travis Tritt. Um, uh, he's got, he's got some, he's got some really good songs that are, that are stories. Matter of fact, he's got a, he's got a song that I think it's like a three part song. It's three different songs, but they, they're all part, they're all, what's the word? They're all part of the same story. Um, and then there's, um, uh, man, George Strait is just, he's, he's another good country. Um, I, I think what's really credible is when you're telling a huge story in such a short amount of words, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, and there's, and, and simplifying it, yeah. right? You know, like, uh, the essence, Alan Jackson, the essence of the words. You know, Alan, Alan Jackson uh, wrote a line one time. I think he says, I'm just a singer of simple songs. And, I, and, um, I, I think I think about that, and it's like, you know, when it's when you're a singer and you're writing a simple song, but it's just so memorable, um, it, it's incredible, right? And, and and music is so important to us because it re, it puts us back, it also puts us back in there. You know, I I still remember the music I was listening to when me and my wife were dating, right? And the trips, yeah. you know, going to see my going to see my wife or whatever, and driving, and I had the music on, and you know, the music that was playing then, I can I can still no, relate I know what to, you mean. And, yeah, yeah, it puts me back in that spot. But yeah, going back to your but going back to your question though, I mean, I I would say you know Travis Tritt, uh, George Strait, um, Waylon Jennings for sure, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'd say those are those are probably. Sweet some of the best storytellers in country. Sounds like I got some homework. Uh, what kind of movie or TVs or, or podcast recommendations do you have? Movies? Oh, man. Yeah, it's funny because I just did a... We just got, <laughs> me and my boys sat down. My boys are getting old enough. You know, they're living on their own now. Yeah. So I don't have to tell them not to watch rated R movies. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, we're we're going through, and I'm I'm showing them the, the you know, I'm telling them the, the greatest movies of all times. You know, and so we we ended up creating this list of greatest movies of all times. You know, according to Douglas standards, you know, Ron Douglas standards, which are, you know, they got to be action packed. They got to be fun. You know, they got to be, um, you know, just incredible, timeless pieces. Yeah. You know, a movie that was created 20 years ago is it still entertaining today? You know, like. Like Casino, for instance, that was one of them that was on the list. You know, um, Heat was another great one that was on the list. Um, but you know, and then we got into war movies and some of the greatest war movies of all times. And to me, a movie that's incredible that tells an incredible story, but is also timeless, hmm. in my opinion, is is important. Uh, here's a great example: um, Last of the Mohicans. If you've ever seen that one, or Titanic. That's another timeless one. It's a love story, but it also talks about the you know the, the demise of the Titanic. Incredible movie. Have you seen that? No, I actually haven't either. Oh man, you young kids, man, you don't even <laughs> you guys don't even know what good movies are, man. I'm telling you. So yeah, Titanic is an incredible movie. Last of the Mohicans, 
incredible, man. Uh, in, incredible movie. You gotta, you gotta watch it. There was a. Uh, oh, as so, regarded as one of the. I think this is number one on IMDb, which is why it's. I say regarded as one of the good ones, but I'm curious as a former prison guard, what are your thoughts on something like Shawshank Redemption? <laughs> I love yeah, Shawshank Redemption. That's a good one. <laughs> I do like yeah, that. It's movie. actually you know, funny because I just noticed it. it's on uh, Amazon Prime, and I was like, oh man, I haven't seen that in a long yeah. time. I should watch that again. Um, hey, I used to tell a lot of inmates a lot a lot of times. The only difference between you and I is you got caught. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I'm here out so, of my own free choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. And then, <laughs> and, but uh, um, yeah, the the uh, yeah, Shawshank Redemption is a great movie, yeah. man. That is, that, is a, that is a great movie. I love that one. The Fortress is another good one. Um, I like that one. Um, that one is uh, with uh, Robert Redford, hmm. and uh, uh, not a lot of people know about that movie, but that's a. That's kind of an old prison movie. That's a good movie. What uh? What about what kind of books are you reading right now? Uh, books. I I am a rereader type of person. I like to um, read a book and then and then go back and reread it. Um, I feel yeah. I've been the, I've been doing that a little more late. It's kind of like the the no man steps in the same river twice thing. It's, you're always a different yep, person when yep. you read it. You see it with a different lens. Exactly. So. I'm always listening to 17 uh, principles of success, personal success. Um, I'm going to check that's this. Almost out. always in my in my truck um, when I'm driving around, and if I if I really want to fall back and just drive and not think, I'll I'll play that. Um, the uh, Atomic Habits is is one that I've been reading lately. Um, that's a great book. If we're talking about uh, timeless things, I I believe that to be. It, that book will be re- relevant even in the next 20 years and so on. Which one? The, the Atom- Atomic Habits. One? Oh, Atomic Habits. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Atomic Habits is a really good book, and actually I'm rereading it for the second time now. Um, but I, I I also agree with that with uh, 17 Principles of Personal Success. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to snag a copy of that. You got me excited for this one. Man, that one that one's the one that changed me. It changed my thinking. That you know, I, before then, I've I, I made millions of dollars even before that book. But that book took me to a whole other level um, because before then, I didn't I didn't think that way. Um, and then you start thinking, and then you start realizing, yeah, he is OG. I mean, if you listen to everybody else since then, it's just repackaged. Yeah. Napoleon what about Hill. it? What <laughs> you know about what it leveled you up? Um. It was before then. I never really was conscious about my thoughts and where I let my mind go. Does that make sense? I was just, yeah, I'll go out here and work. I, I don't know. I mean, I, why are you working? I don't know. I just, I want to make money. You know. I mean, I just didn't put a lot of thought into things. You know what I mean? I just, I was just a big dumb ogre. I guess I don't know. I didn't put much thought into stuff. I just. You want to make more money? Go work harder. That's it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. You know? um, but Napoleon Hill changed it to where, you know, you know, like you know, like I said, you know, the what your mind can conceive and you can you can achieve kind of thing. You know, I mean, I never put that stuff into into thoughts and 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 uh, you know thought about that. I, 
you know, that's the reason why I created vision boards. That's the reason I started future journaling was because of his books. You know I mean? It's all that stuff, you know? I mean, um, in there, he talks about Norm Hill. Um, Norm Hill is his subconscious companion that he created. So in other words, he's driving down the road and he needs to get, he needs to go to the bank, but it's noon on Friday and all the bank parking spots are full. Well, he'll send Norm Hill ahead and say, Hey, go clear out a spot for me. I want to, I want a spot right in front of the bank, you know, and he subconsciously works on that, you know, so he hits all the green lights all the way through town. And it, just as he's pulling in front of the bank, somebody's pulling out right in front of him and he goes, yep, yep, Norm Hill got me a spot. Boom. And he just pulls right in. Right. So he's always yeah. talking about subconsciousness and stuff like that. Anyway. So I, I just, I, I find that interesting and uh, I find it challenging, especially for somebody like me, who's, who's never put a lot of, um, thought into, into that, into that genre, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. I, I would say I, put a lot of thought into my own thought but it's currently at the place where it's like i have developed awareness but what i do with that awareness it it causes a lot of frustration because i'm aware now i'm aware of my unserving or unhelpful thoughts but i'm having a difficulty of being like okay what do i do with it like do i just live with this now like do i like the acceptance part is it like where where do i put it how do i get new thoughts so uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely going to be checking that out and, and giving it a read yeah. and a listen. Yeah, yeah. That, to me, that's the first one I, I recommend to everybody. Uh, people ask me my favorite book. That's hands down, it's that book. Last question Where can people find you? Okay. Where can people find me? Oh, that's easy. Yeah, Mentoring Giants or just Google Ron Douglas. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got LinkedIn and Twitter. LinkedIn and Twitter is where I, I kind of hang yeah. out. I don't. Spend, I don't spend too much time on Tech Tyrant, Facebook, or Instagram. I'm just not yeah. there that much. But, but I, but I, I focus on LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Awesome. I'll throw those in the show notes below. Ron, thank you very okay. much. This was a fantastic conversation. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, meeting with someone like myself. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun and brought back a lot of memories. I'm glad. <laughs> Thanks for doing it. Thanks. That. <laughs>